raise a family, that they have some of the same opportunities that me and my wife. You agreed that they are, we need to see them as a terrorist organization. On a private cloud server, yes or no? To love country, to love God, and to try to do the right thing. Worked for the nation and the interests of the people. Welcome back to the Fresh Freedom Podcast. As you know, this is a podcast with freedom-loving freshman members in the House of Representatives, where we provide you a behind-the-scenes look at what's happening in Congress. I'm joined by my fellow conservative freshman members of Congress, Josh Burkeen from Oklahoma, Andy Ogles from Tennessee, and a special guest, Congressman Scott Perry from Pennsylvania, who happens to be the chairman of the Freedom Caucus. Scott has been a critical voice for conservatives in the House and an especially important fighter these past few weeks. Thanks for coming on, Scott. It's awesome to be here with you guys. Just want to remind everybody, it's Burkine. If you mispronounce that, you're going to hear about it. So. Oh, I didn't, I didn't say Burkine. I said Burkine. No, you did. You I? did. But maybe some of the folks out there don't know. It's Josh Burkine. Burkine, was Burkine with a hard key. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Josh Breaching. <laughs> So moving right along. <laughs> so you you're in Rayburn, so that means you've been here for a long time. <laughs> I've been I've been in Cannon, Longworth, and Rayburn. Oh wow! And the reason you go to Rayburn is because your staff, starting out in Cannon, doesn't have any room, and it's really this like I don't care. I this room's twice as much as I need, but they want sure you know. I'm serious. <laughs> no. But that's, that's you know, they ask, can we move? I don't care where I am, but they ask, can we move? So, okay, fine with me. Yeah. His office is actually strategic. It, it is in the corner of, of Rayburn. It's very hard to find. It's um, as far away from the Capitol as you can get and still be in the office buildings. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> very good. And that's okay with me. So you, so you first came in to Congress... You, you're from a purple district, right? It's it's, uh, it's marginally Republican, but it's a swing seat. And, and and yet, I think what's unique about you is that you your attitude is, while I have this district, I, I'm going to be me. I'm going to be a conservative. So tell us about how, how you navigate that. Uh, this is what I do. Um, you don't have to be real bright to use this strategy. I just look at every vote and say, what's the right thing to do here? A lot of folks, as you know, they look at every vote and they and they do this, right? They, we call them, they're wringing their hands. I don't know if my voters are going to, you know, if I vote this way or that way, it's going to be bad or whatever. Just look at the vote. Do the right thing. Election's coming, right? And I will tell you, you're going to take votes that people in your district are not going to like, and they're going to advertise against you, and they're going to put stuff on social media about you, whatever. You might give them a thousand votes that they hate. But when it comes to election time, they're probably going to pick three that they're going to message on, TV commercials, three things probably. That's usually right, how it goes. Right. you got to be able to defend those three. You can probably do that. So I worry about election time at election time. While I'm in Congress for two years, I worry about re- voting the right way every time. That's what I worry about. And I make mistakes. I fall short like everybody does. You know, We all fall short of the grace of God. So I've done that on occasion. I go home and explain it to my folks. And uh, that, that's, just how I, that's just how I do it. So for those who are, don't know Freedom Caucus, can you explain Freedom Caucus, what it is and what I your can, role is? I can, and this is so awesome to be able to do. So the Freedom Caucus exists, and there's a mission statement. You can go online and look at it. Freedom Caucus exists to speak for the countless millions of Americans who feel like Washington has left them behind and doesn't represent their interests. And that's our focus is for America. 
And and so we we love being a part of that. I love being a part of that. I feel like it's the greatest honor. Some people work their way up in Congress to be the chairman of Ways and Means Committee or chairman of transport, you know, chairman of something where you're selected by this whole weirdo process in a basement where everybody circles around a cauldron or something. It's probably not quite like that, but you know what I mean? You know what I'm talking about, right? It's, it, it's, um, it, it has to do with, um, you know, at that point, you got to like beg the other members of Congress yeah. to support you to be, to rise up to this. I've right. never aspired to any of that. It's not merit based at all. It's not merit based at all. You can't right. for it. I mean, you like, can't pay for it. Yeah, you know, you all campaign within Congress for those positions. I never aspired to that at all. I've always aspired someday, if God would bless me with being chairman of the Freedom Caucus, because that's what I believe in. Um, these are the folks I love working around. Um, you got to you have to have conviction. Two things you got to have, and and this is really lacking in Congress. You don't have to be brilliant. I know Eric, you're probably a rocket scientist. Ogles was a brain surgeon before he became a congressman. Yeah. <laughs> um, nuclear physicist over yeah. here, Burkine. Yeah. You know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist. You need courage and conviction, and that's the Freedom Caucus. Courage and conviction. You got to say what's the right thing. And most of the time, doing the right thing is the hard thing. And it's the thing that people don't like, and sometimes it's the unpopular thing. Um, but that's what the Freedom Caucus stands for. And so I just happened to show up here at this really consequential time in American history. Now, we prepared for it. We prepared for it before you guys got here. We saw this thing coming, and, and we set the conditions. I'm a military guy, so you set the conditions for success so that when the window of opportunity opens, everything's lined up. And that's what we did. You were the reinforcements, right? Every battle, you lose some of your troops. You were the reinforcements. You came in and charged the hill with us. And, and it's awesome because we're changing the status quo in Washington, D.C. And the status quo is, is, is essentially why the Freedom Caucus exists, because the status quo doesn't care about what America thinks. They care what this town thinks. They care about all the processes here to make sure that the money keeps rolling into all the special interests and the policy works for them. And too bad for America. And you guys came in and we charged the hill together and changing the status quo. Can you, can you elaborate on that in terms of the stage being set, even before the three of us as freshmen got elected, I was reading about Scott Perry oh and the Freedom Caucus putting forth an idea about how we would do rule changes. This right. was like September of last year. Yeah. And the thought was you would have so many members in the majority uh, to, to obtain the majority for the first time in a number of years that the ability to get those rules agreed to by the conference may be lacking. Can you talk us through how, because yeah. most people would we, we could run over this and not fully understand what you're saying there. The, the staging was being set for an opportunity. Right. I love what Zig Ziglar says. He says, when preparation meets opportunity yes. equals success. That's what so, we call luck. So talk about what's happened in the last <laughs> 10 months. And that because I want people to understand. Like, yeah. we, we don't and, understand because all the context is the last 10 months. Right. And Freedom Caucus involvement. Well, um, so you we may not want to say. No, no. It's, it, I think it's kind of widely known, certainly around here, um, and we're well hated or at least disliked for for it. But we, we watch this operation, which is really made to be top down, where members really don't have any say. There's this illusion. People in, out in the country have this illusion of representative government. We elected Burkine. He's going to go fight for us and all that stuff. 
no amendments on the floor for the last seven years, right? This has been a continual coalescing of power and a very small portion of individuals at the very top. And so we've been experiencing that and we foresaw that we were going to get the majority, right? And we all saw it coming, not because, quite honestly, not because of what Republicans were doing. We weren't earning people's vote. We were saying our plan was vote for us because we don't suck as much as those guys. That was our plan, right? The Democrats. Is the Democrats, right? Um, and that, and so we foresaw a slim majority, even though there were these projections, there was going to be this huge majority. In the meantime, Congress operates like you operate your business, you operate your family. You might not have written rules in your family, right? But you have a set of rules. Kids, you're going to bed between this time and this time. You're going to eat everything on your plate, pick up your clothes, whatever your rules in your house are, right? We have that. And we have that in Congress. So we, we looked at the rules and we said the rules are really prohibitive for members. Read 4,000 pages in, in three days. You can read 4,000 pages in three days, but as you know, three days in Congress is different than Ogle's three days, right? Ogle's three days is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, right? That's, that's three days in the Ogle's family. But you guys know in Congress, day one is one second before midnight, day two is, two is 24 hours, day three is one second after midnight. So the three-day rule is really the 24 hours and two-second rule to read 4,000. But we said, that's crazy. We don't, want, we don't want that to happen anymore. So we started working early last year on this set of rules packages. And we went to the guy who thought he was gonna be the speaker and said, look, this is what we're working on. We want changes to make it inclusive of members so they can participate, so they can represent their districts. And how did that go? Well, it didn't go very well. It was cordial, right? It was cordial. It kind of patted me on the head like oh, a puppy dog. Aren't you cute? Pat yeah, right, right. And, um, and we said to him, look, this is just what we came up with. We sat for hours hours upstairs here working every week, couple times a week, working on the rules. One by one, it's tedious. We're members of Congress, you know, it's, you know, all that stuff is just, you think about every single possibility, right? And you know, with everything took hours upon hours and days upon days. Well, we came up with this thing and said, look, if you don't like these, come up with some of your own ideas. We told this to our leadership. We don't have all the good ideas. If you have good ideas to make it more inclusive, well, of course, you know, you're telling that kind of tongue in cheek because they don't want to make it more inclusive. They're not interested in any of this stuff. Right. And at that time, with the expectation Republicans would take the House, right. they thought they'd have 20, 30 members in excess of the majority. They thought they were going to have a 240-seat majority, right? There's, there's, Which would mean the Freedom Caucus is irrelevant. It would become irrelevant. It's they didn't irrelevant. think they would need the vote. Right. So Patting you on the head. Pat me on the head. So it really got really focused in July of last year. And I kept going and I kept going. And then I would take members of the group with me to these meetings. And it kept getting bigger and bigger. Still pat me on the head. Not interested. Patting us all on the head. Can't be done. This is why this, this would be problematic if we did this. This would happen or this could happen. All a million reasons to not do any of this stuff, right? And, um, and so we just kept with a smile on our face. We kept going. And the November election happened, right? We all left for a period of time right before the November election. So there was no meetings in. The November election happened. The margin, we didn't even know if we had the majority. That's right. There right? were a few, few open seats. We didn't know if we had the majority. And if we did, it was going to be small, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm in Pennsylvania. So, you know, now we don't get to know for three weeks who won an election. But we used to know anyhow. So Tuesday, I feel like I probably won my election. So Wednesday morning, I drive to Washington, D.C., and I call up the leader, Kevin McCarthy. 
And I said, hey, Mr. Leader, you want to get together? Yeah, Scott, why don't you come down? <laughs> well, that's a change of events. Okay, let's go talk about it. And he seemed very interested suddenly in what I had to say. I said, well, let's keep the conversation going. And when everybody got back into town, we really started with the package, so to speak. Well, that's where it all stopped because it was kind of like, we want to hear you, but we don't really want to do anything. We want you to feel like we're helping, and, but so, we're not going to so do any of So one of the big stuff. things is, like you said, been six years where the rules committee made up of very few members picked. All picked by leadership. All picked by the, the speaker. speaker. They made the determination what amendments would be allowed on the floor. Yes. So the normal rank and file. Well, no amendments were allowed on the floor, but they would allow certain amendments in the rules committee. No amendments on the floor. So it hadn't happened in six years where, right. where what the normal rank and file member could have a good idea, try to amend. From, for, for my purposes, I wanted to be able to come up here and put spending cut amendments forward. Yeah, right. You want spending cut amendments, but what if you're not on appropriations where spending happens? No amendments. Your voice is not heard. Your people Sorry, are not. I just, I just want to set the stage. Right. It's been it, the normal person, the normal member of Congress representing 750,000, their, vo their voice, there's a funnel, nine members of the Rules Committee, right. that was keeping, that basically had the reins of power, how all you amend it. all legislation. Right. So keep going. And uh, so, so it was apparent that they really didn't want to do anything. They would just do a little bit. We had this thing about germaneness, whether the amendment actually applies to the bill because, you know, we have this thing called a Christmas tree. Some bill is going, some piece of legislation is moving through must, what's called must pass. So Farm Bill, National Defense Authorization Act, these are seen as they have to pass. And they always get loaded up with all these amendments that leadership wants. It's called a Christmas tree in the Rules Committee. And we said that it should be germane. National, you know, we, germane we meaning germane means pertaining to. So, for instance, we would do a farm bill and put Yemen funding for Yemen, you know, aid or assistance in Yemen. Well, what does that have to do with the farm bill? Nothing. But the farm bill was going. They wanted it. So they just did it. We said it has. So they were going to they were going to give us a little bit on that. Not much, but they were going to try and work through something. Anyhow, it was pretty apparent that they weren't gonna take up any of these rules changes. And I, you know, at the and we were getting closer and closer to the speaker's election. Now you guys remember when you first came in after your election to the first rules committee meeting in the auditorium, right? Where we had yes. amendments Our, on the rules. Yes. <laughs> Tell me what your perception was, because I've been here and I'm like, now these freshmen are gonna see. What was your perception? No, I, I couldn't believe that this is how Congress operates. I couldn't believe right? it. Right, so one of your freshman members senator. stands up and says, Madam Chairman, I have an amendment. And she says, take your seat. You're out of order. That was you, Welcome wasn't it? to Congress. That was That's you. That's right. That was, that was you. Do not those. recognize the gentleman from Tennessee. I, that she was did you. that to me twice. <laughs> That's how you're treated, right? Right. Not interested in your... That's right. And it should be noted that, that I sought counsel from senior members. There was a, a senior member sitting next to me across the aisle that, that cued me when to stand up. So I, I was timely. I was in order and uh, to offer my amendment right. to be recognized at the mic. Uh, and I was the first to jump up there. So ergo, I should have been the first recognized and she totally ignored me. And then finally, when I sat back down and waited for my second opportunity to stand up, she cited her the own rules and basically it was her purview whether or not she would recognize a specific member. And at that point, even at that point, I had members of Congress who some of the old timers stood up, went to the mic and said, you can't do that to him. And then she was like, oh, yes, I can. But what did you guys think of that? Well, I was ready for war. <laughs> yeah, I, I've... Were you disappointed? I Were was you really shocked? disappointed. I was, I, I, especially in learning about the way that 
bills can go through this place. And right. that really every bill was basically drafted by the speaker, plopped through rules. And then, Didn't go then, through committee, no input from members, yeah. no designed input to keep from the citizens. Designed to keep people safe so that nobody and, has to take a hard vote. Right. And, I'll never and, and which is destroying our country because right. they camouflage all the garbage in with a little bit of good. Everybody goes home and has a some talking point defense. Well, I know it had all this bad, but it had this one good thing. Yeah. And it, 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 it protects them. And, it, and it's, you know, train wreck for America. But yeah, then we had the vote and he was... He, he got the majority, but he but was short. He was short. I went right before that was on the ne that was at the next um, organized. So you had the rules meeting, and then they had that meeting. In the intervening period, I called him up. I said, "Kevin, can I come to your office?" And he said, "Sure, come on down." So I came. I went down. I said, "Kevin, after this is after that rules meeting, I said, if you don't change something dramatically right now, right now, I mean, like when I walk out, you need to walk out and do a press conference about telling about how this place is going to change." I said you're not going to be speaker. You're going to have the votes. Really? And he kind of laughed me off and said, okay, I hear you. And, and nothing happened, right? So then it's January 5th. We remember we were having the vote on January 6th for speaker. January 5th, a bunch of us got in my office for 11 hours and worked on some things, including all the rules package, that we would vote for him to be speaker. One last effort. And if you remember, there were five or six members that said, I will never vote for Kevin McCarthy for speaker. You remember that? They mm -hmm. were out in the media now for a month and a half, saying it publicly. I had them in the room with me. So at, at six o'clock that evening or seven o'clock, whatever time it was, I said, okay, we're done. I'm going to go see Kevin and we're going to pitch this to him and tell him, this is what you're going to have to do to get these votes to become speaker. And I'm taking you with me, one of the never Kevins. As a matter of fact, one of the original never Kevins. Mm -hmm. I grabbed him by the shoulder and said, yep. you're going with me. Went down and I presented it to Kevin. We talked him through it. He looked at me. He shook my hand. He said, you're not serious. And he got up and he walked away. Oh, really? Oh, really? So I thought, oh my goodness, I guess it's on. So do you remember, were you in conference the next morning? Yes. Do you remember what that was like? I remember he came in and he was pretty angry. And how did he treat all of us? How did they treat all of us? Do you, right. Right. I mean, a, right. a member, yeah. when I walked in, a member said, your presence here disgusts me. That's what he said right to my face. Wow. But we went to the microphones, as you remember, and we said, this is our case. This is how we're going to vote. And they were angry. And we went to the floor and the voting started. Well, I remember the one, the one gentleman that threatened that yeah. anybody that voted against him. Take off your committees. Everybody should lose their committees, be taken off the committees. And that, at that moment, several people got up and started walking out because yeah. they realized this is that's what this place is about more ugly well when you when you think about the speaker fight you know for most of us there was nothing personal it was right. about the rules right it was about changing how this place operates it should be noted that most members of congress campaign on the fact that this place is broken and they want to come up here and fix it and then you have 20 of us that decide we're actually going to put forward a proposal that will change how this place functions, then they were against it. It should also be noted that the conservative pundits who've made millions of dollars talking about how broken this place is and that yep. how they have a solution how to fix it, when we actually stood up to fix it, then they attacked us. Yes. One of them called us a terrorist. Yes. Right? A right. bunch of terrorists. Right. Now, after the fact, that now that you have Germanus, now that you have 72 hours to read a bill, now that we have all these amendments, suddenly, well, this is the best rules package uh, ever. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> so, so, so let's talk through the last 10 months yeah. and the ability for people to see who's really serious about cutting spending. Yeah. 
So talk. So we we go through the fifteen rounds. Yep. Um, there was guardrails set in place. You get the speakership under these conditions. Right. Talk us through what's including happened the, last 10 the top line, which is just so you know the process we're under right now, where we where we have a budget that says this is this is the top. We're not going to spend more than this, and there are twelve sp- separate spending bills that equal that top line. The House passes tw- the House passes a budget, passes twelve bills. The Senate passes a budget, twelve bills. They're not going to be the same, so they reconcile them. They work them together, and then that's the spending for the United States of America for that period of time. That process I just described hasn't happened since 1996 and has only happened four times since 1974. So that's what we're trying to fix. So we it's, got this. It's we, 50 years. Yeah, the essentially only time 50, 49 years. has finished 12 appropriation bills. It's only happened four times since 1974. 74. And the, I think it did happen when they balanced the budget the one time in, in the Contract with America era. Yeah. 1994. Right, keep going. So, yeah. so now we have amendments that are going on the floor. So let's talk about that. So, I, so um, well, you know what happened, right? We, we picked a number. We all voted for that number in May, in early May. Limit, save, grow, as that was called. Done by the Freedom Caucus. Right. Right? Conference, the Republican Party, the speaker had no plan. And I went to him and I said, well, we have a plan. You guys all agreed. We agreed. Worked it up together. And he said, yeah, but nobody will vote for that plan. I said, well, try. I just, I just I said, try, put it on, the, talk to him. And so we all got a room. Votes. It got 218 votes. Include, that top level, that was the spending level. Mm-hmm. So then we had to start doing the spending bills. We started doing the spending bills, but the debt ceiling happened. And they blew the number up on the top, right? Mm-hmm. They did this negotiation, blew the number up, which stopped everything. Um, and, and that's what happened to the spending bills. They simply stopped because we had a disagreement of the number. We had all agreed in January, and we had all voted in May for this top-line budget number. We, every Republican agreed with that. Whether they wanted to or not, that's mm-hmm. what they agreed to. Then when the debt ceiling happened, the, the Speaker and his team negotiated with President Biden, and they just changed the number. Well, a bunch of us, they said, well, we got to do these 12 spending bills. And we said, well, what number are you doing? Well, this new number, we said, no, we, we didn't agree to that. We didn't vote for that. And so nothing happened. The bills didn't, the bills never got done. And as you guys have realized and probably have watched from the outside, there's four people in Washington that write these spending bills habitually. The leaders of the Senate and the leader of the House, they work together and they do an omnibus, omni, right? Everything's included, all the spending, all the bad stuff, all hidden right before Christmas, because the fiscal year ends, it's September 30th. The bills aren't done. Only happened last time since 1996, right? So what they do is these continuing resolutions. Well, we work on the bills. We got to keep the government open. So we'll pass a continue. We resolve to continue the spending and the policy that we passed the last time. And, and that will give us time to get our bills done, even though we've had nine months. But we're going to get them all done now. And, of course, that goes always right before Christmas. And then everybody wants to go home for Christmas. So uh, they say, well, we couldn't get them done. We'll just throw this all in one pile and you all vote for it. Or if you vote against it, now we're going to blame you for shutting down the government. Well, no one wants to be blamed for shutting down the government. So, look, I tried as hard as I could, but this is, all the, this is the only chance I had. It was the only option I had. And everybody would vote for it except for people like me and you guys who said, no, we can't keep doing this. And we're, that's where we were headed three weeks ago for the same exact thing. And of course, as you know, speaker was vacated. People said, you didn't stick to your promises. You had no intention of ever passing these bills. 
you're headed for an omnibus where everything's in there, where you, Hakeem Jeffries, Mitch McConnell, and Chuck Schumer negotiate what's the spending for the whole country for the whole year, including all the earmarks and all the terrible stuff and all the terrible policy, we're done. Whole new day now in Washington, D.C. The Washington, D.C. was rocked in January. It was just rocked again. And in short, the system's rigged. I mean, it's designed to continue to spend. It's designed to grow. What the rules package has done, what the new speaker has done, has set up. It's a new day in Washington. It's a breath of fresh air. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Doesn't mean it's going to be smooth. Still got to fight through it. We're going to have to fight. And it was designed to keep people in the dark, the people back home in the dark as to how their members truly yeah, what they truly thought and, and the crap that was being passed. So, so, the they, so, so that's why you know people back home they think that their member is just as conservative as you or I or right. Jim Jordan, oh, right? Now I, I, I had a, a a member that's been here a minute or two or longer, <laughs> who arguably most people would consider a rhino, came up to me and said, "You know, Andy." I'm as conservative as you are. I about fell out of my chair. <laughs> well, you sure don't act like it. <laughs> well, they always want to. They always want to. They feel that. Yeah, right. But but when we vote differently than them, it it puts a spotlight on them, and they don't like that. So they got to tell themselves, "Well, I'm just as conservative as that person." No, actually, you're kind of not. You're, you're not. There, there's rhetoric and there's actions. Everybody's yeah. a campaign server until you vote. So this I, this is why I wanted to get to. So now we have the ability to put spending cut amendments on all general appropriation bills right. post January one, and put people on record. And that's the point. Is so we've gone through half of our twelve appropriation bills. Uh, that's all happened in the last couple of months. And so when those here, you probably more so than anyone, got a lot of amendments. Amendments um, you see out of two hundred and twenty-two Republicans, and you see a Perry amendment, and it's on. On a general appropriations bill, and it's further a, a further cut to mm-hmm. one area, one um, diversity, equity, inclusion type program, or just a going back to 2019 spending levels. Right. Oh my gosh, can we not live off the government of just a few years ago on certain programs? What's the vote count we constantly see? I usually get about 150. But I think. You you get better than I do. I, I'm I'm getting about 80 on the ones I oh, put wow. forward. You must so, really want to cut spending. So 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 I so we'll say we'll take uh, 222 Republicans. You'll see anywhere from 80. I say average is what you see on most amendments is about 100. About 100, yeah. About 100 so, people yeah. will vote. So that means I'm I'm lacking 20. That shouldn't. I don't know what why I'm lacking those 20, but. But those spending cut amendments, now that goes into a scorecard. Now everybody can go back home and fact check. Is my member who claims to be a conservative as conservative, as concerned about the debt and deficit spending as they say they are on the campaign trail? And so when you go look at these scorecards, you get a chance to see, based upon what's not happened in six years, how did they vote on Perry's amendment to cut even further? Because they don't cut enough as it is. We talked about that top line number. So all those 12 bills are going to equal the top line number. And these guys and gals on the Appropriations Committee, and it's usually the cardinals that are driving, they, they they call the top person a cardinal. I don't know whether you folks know that. I don't like any of that. I would get rid of that whole committee. That's another story. But they they're the ones that determine what that spending is on that bill. And, it, and when they can't even meet the top line level, and then they come to the floor, we just, I've just had amendments and on the floor on an appropriations bill, and the cardinal stood there and yelled at me on the floor, <laughs> and he said, apparently this representative actually doesn't like saving money because I had an amendment to cut more. And he said, we're the ones that are cutting. First of all, you're not even meeting the requirement, and, and that's the minimum. St- the, the requirement right now 
it's much higher than what we voted for in May. Well, to simplify it, I mean, in this town, a cut and an increase is considered a cut. Yeah. It's still an increase. Yeah, it's still an increase. It's just not as much of an increase. That's right. right? And so they don't want to cut anything, and they fail to recognize, acknowledge, realize, whatever, that we're going to be 30, by the time your term is done, $36 trillion in debt. You're going to be here when it's gone up about $6 trillion, right? And... And that $6 trillion equals higher gas prices, grocery prices, electricity prices, your credit card debt. These are all your bosses, your constituents that are out in your districts. I know you know this because you talk to them. They're struggling to make ends meet. And we keep on spending here like there's no tomorrow. The other side of the aisle, they never argue about how much to cut and how much to spend. Theirs is how much to spend, how much more to spend. On our side of the aisle, it's at least how much to cut and, and how much to spend. And of course, folks like us say, we don't, even if we want some of this stuff, maybe it is nice to have, but we can't afford it. We, we don't have any money. This is borrowed money. We're taking in five. We're spending 7.2. When it's crazy, when I tell people, they say, what are you guys all fighting over? Well, we're taking in five. Trillion, we're spending 7.5 trillion. We're spending 7.2. We ask them to set, spend 7.1. Right. That and was that makes our us big crazy. Seven and they think great. that we're crazy, we're crazy because we want to drop it by by hundred billion dollars. hundred billion dollars, right? So yeah. Scott, so the people back home understand basic basic um, understanding of overspending causes devaluation of your currency. Right. We've lost since 2017. I looked it up not too long ago. We've lost 20% of the dollar value just since 2017. So every dollar is worth 80 cents. It's not worth a dollar. So this is why the average person needs to care. Instead of electing people who's going to promise me more, you need to be electing people who are saying, what are you going to do to cut spending to stop the devaluation of my dollar? So my dollar goes further so that the decisions I make, I can afford them. Right, I don't need the federal government making my decisions for me. I want to make the decisions, and I want my dollar to go further. Um, you're absolutely right, Josh. The most most effective legislator I heard said one time is not the one who's bringing home the most; it's the one who's keeping the most in your pocket. Yeah. Or how about retaining the most uh, that you earn. intrinsic value of your dollar? Yeah. Well, then part of that is when you look at say Israel, and, and again, this is a radical idea up here. It's called a pay for. So there, <laughs> there, there's this idea of an Israel supplemental to help rearm and in, in, in our so case- So you gotta explain like, supplemental because they right. don't even know that's what right. that means. So right? that, that's essentially new money that's not in the budget. We're on top of extra. The, remember right? that top line that's with right. the 12 bills? This is on top of that yeah. extra, right? Now go. So now you're saying, well, what if we do a pay for, meaning we take money from one line item somewhere in the budget. So like, you know, always give the example, we've got a little farm, we've got a budget. I want a new tractor. Well, guess what? It's not in the budget to get a new tractor. So if I'm going to get a new tractor, I have to move money in my budget to get it, to make it happen. So that's all we're proposing. And specifically, we're saying, well, why don't we cut money out of the IRS? I'm guessing everybody at home is okay if we cut the IRS's budget, or quite frankly, we could target education. But again, the idea of having a pay for, for spending, is radical up here when every American right now is having to figure out a pay for That's right. on how to afford gas, how to afford medicine, how to afford rent, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And again, this place is broken. That's what we're trying to fix. That's what we're fighting for, but it's only a it's, fraction of the but spending. It's, and it's a radical idea, this pay for. So Israel got attacked. They're our friends. We want to help. We believe in that. We believe that's that's the right thing to do. We have these accounts that we put money in. The IRS is one. There's a whole bunch of them around. T- the money hasn't all been spent, but it's sitting there, 
And instead of taking some of that money to pay for our friends that have been attacked because we've decided that's now a priority, they say, no, you've got to print more money. You've got to create more, come up with more money. Don't touch this. All we're saying is just like a family, right? If you were putting money aside for a new tractor and, and in, in the meantime, the barn burnt down and you need to barn, well, guess what? We're not getting a new tractor. We're going to spend the money on the barn. That's what we're saying, right? And I don't have a new tractor because <laughs> there's always something else, right? There's always something else. <laughs> so, okay, let me ask you this. Going back to Freedom Caucus, what's it like to manage or keep all the frogs in the barrel? I, I don't look at it this that way at all. Um, the, you know, first of all, we're conservatives. Uh, we're three. We're free thinkers and we're analytical thinkers. You know, and we all have. Most of us, I think, or I would say all of us have our allegiance to the good Lord and the Constitution, but we see things a little differently. So I feel like my job is to present my case, present our case, and, and tactically and strategically say, this is why we should do this, and, and this is what the outcome likely will be, and to convince my friends in the Freedom Caucus. I can't do it all the time, um, but... Uh, I was a military guy for a long time. It's very easy. You issue the order. Sometimes somebody says, sir, I don't think we should do it that way. You hear them out, and then you say, that's great. That's your orders. Move out. That's the end of this, the mm -hmm. discussion. But in Congress, you don't work for me. Right. You work for your constituents, the Constitution, and the good Lord, yeah, right? Yeah, that's who you answer to. But there's a lot of members that, that they, I was gonna say, they that's... fall into that structure and that mentality oh, well, that they work for the speaker. And it, so let me just tell you this story. When we first started the Freedom Caucus, I was here. My very good friends, my best friends in Congress, Jim Jordan and Mark Meadows, were at the, at the very beginning of this thing. And I was hanging around. I was a new guy. But I was hanging around him because, like, like you guys, I watched Jim Jordan on TV, and I was like, you know, yeah, go, go, go. So when I come here, I'm like, this is awesome. I'm hanging around with this guy. And they started the Freedom Caucus, but they didn't invite me. <laughs> they did not invite me. And I was, you know, I was a little curious, and I was probably a little disappointed, obviously. I went to him, and I said, well, I vote just like you guys do, and I think the way you do. And I go to the same meetings. What, what's the deal? I want to be part of it. And they said... You're a military guy. Military guys take orders, orders from leadership. And I'm like, well, they're not my leadership. My leadership is in my district. That's my leadership. So they said, oh, all right, we'll give you a try. We'll, let, we'll, we'll see what you're all about, right? But you're right. People come here and they forget that they take orders from their district, from the Constitution, from the good Lord. They think they take their orders from the speaker, the leader, the whip, the conference chair, the committee chairman. Not in my chain of command. To put it in military that terms. That is what's so unique about Mike Johnson's ascension, because I think people did not vote for him out of fear. Most people, I think, after they have been here for 10, 15 years, it run on the speakership uh, level. There's a lot of people who will vote for them because of fear of retribution if they right. don't support them. Well, of course, there is retribution, and you guys witnessed it in a couple of those early meetings. What was unique about Mike Johnson, and I think what the, the grassroots is fired up about, is you took a guy who went from seventh in command in terms of his, his leadership structure, um, and he ascended miraculously. I think all of us know that was providential for how he, that happened in 24 to 48 hours. And it's someone that has not developed a habit of feeding at the lobbyist trough. He's right. not healed like a dog would be healed, <laughs> the command heal. He's not healed to the money interest. Right. Um, and it's what's so unique about what's transpired in the last two weeks with Mike Johnson is you've got a speaker who people are were supporting at the end of the day, moderates, liberals, comp, you know, the conservatives all came together because there's genuine respect for him as an individual. 
And that's why I, I would say, that, I mean, to me, not, that's why Washington was so averse to him and to this, because because he's not controlled or owned by them. That's how to be the, him not to, for him to not get in that position. I think all, all of America's going to be praying that Mike stays the Mike Johnson that we know today. Oh, yeah, he will. So, he will. I he think will one question that a lot of people ask cause, is, uh, what is, what does it take to become a member of Freedom Caucus? Oh, Especially, that's easy. You know, when people are running for office or they're, 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 they're wanting an endorsement or they right. want to join Freedom Caucus, how do those conversations work and what do you tell people? So I've talked, I haven't talked to you a lot, but I know I talked to you two personally. So you hopefully you will remember this, but it, just in case you do. Why don't you talk to me? What are we talking about? I think you, I remember you, you telling me how much is going to suck. When, when, you, when you're thinking about joining the Freedom Caucus and you say, and, and as the chairman, I'm, I want you to join, but here's the requirement. And I have to answer this in my district all the time because my opponents always, oh, he's a crazy Freedom Caucus person. This is what it takes to join the Freedom Caucus. You have to be willing to vote against your leadership, your Republican leadership, and you have to be willing to get to yes. That's it. That's what th those are the requirements, right? And we're interested in serving with you. It's pretty simple. Now, I, why didn't I get interviewed on this? Well, I, and I know, I know <laughs> did we you get interviewed? And I didn't get the interview well, for because you saw your voting record. Yeah, yeah I probably already saw your voting <laughs> record. I already knew. Well, I, man, I, I got wow. Well, so, and I know we need to wrap up, but, you know, I didn't get questioned. I got interrogated. I mean, like, it was, oh, it was full-blown full interrogation. Scott interrogated you both? Oh, so, so like, uh, they yeah. were in Nashville, and a quick story. I've got Warren Davidson. I've got Scott Perry. At the time, I did not know he was a general. I've got Jim Jordan, and I've got Mark Meadows. We're at this tiny tub table, yeah. so there's five grown men, and Mark is up on a step. So he's, like, hovering over my shoulder, breathing down my neck. And I brought all these media hits where I had been a conservative or like where I'd done things legislatively. We don't care about well, any of that, right? So, <laughs> so Mark, uh, so Jim Jordan, uh, it, it takes the packet and he's reading the whole packet and he's laughing. I mean, I tend to say what's on my mind, as you guys well know, and he's laughing at some of my comments he's made, made in the media. Meanwhile, Scott Perry, I mean, like I'm waiting to be waterboarded because it was like I'm being not just questioned, but interrogated on uh, we issues. We got to know. We got to know. And then, you know, finally he's like, so, you know, I think you're one of us, but how do we know that when you get here, they won't change you? And uh, People change when they get here. And so that's the question. And so you've got to have that willingness to stand by your convictions, your allegiance is to the Lord, to the Constitution, and to your district. And if you can do those things, you can be a successful Freedom Caucus member. And if doing the right thing gets me unelected, I'm okay with that because I came here to do the right, right. thing. You got inter mm -hmm. interrogated like this too? Oh, yeah. I did. I got interrogated by Andy Biggs. First, <laughs> and then, then I had a meeting with Scott and got got interrogated in a completely different way. <laughs> so how did I get the pass? Andy Biggs was talking about Hayek and Mises and oh well, yeah. right, we we had those kind of conversations. I'm I'm kind of down in the dirt. I'm pretty you know, <laughs> yeah, pretty rudimentary. Um, well, we looked at I, your I did, we've already looked at your voting record. See, I mean, I don't know. Maybe Eric was a little later to it. I'm not sure. Ogles really didn't have. I mean, he was a chief executive, so he could tell us anything. A, we don't care about media so reports. Just, he, because he didn't have a state legislative voting right, record. Right. So, okay. Yeah. All right. So, well, my feelings aren't as hurt now. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you for leading us. Thank you for no, it's leading us. It's been my, been my honor. Been my so, honor. Thanks for being a mentor to us um, and for, for being a positive influence on the conservative movement. Appreciate you. That's all we have for this episode of Fresh Freedom. If you like this ep these episodes, please share them with your friends. 
like and subscribe to them on whatever tools that you're using to, to listen, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Rumble, anywhere that you listen to podcasts, please subscribe and like it. We'll see you the next time on Fresh Freedom Podcast. Go long. I had no idea. It all went down. <laughs>